Well met, friends. I'm Jude Vase. And I'm Steph Midlock. Welcome to Atherbeth, a podcast exploring the fur-footed festivities of Tolkien's Legendarium. Ooh, that was a really good opening, Jude. <laughs> That's what I get when I uh, actually write the pun at the beginning, or the um, alliteration, more than like eight seconds before we do the opening. <laughs> oh my gosh, are you saying that doing homework actually pays off? Uh, I'm not going to go that far. Uh, <laughs> I'm just saying that... You know, if I make more than two attempts, sometimes they're good. All right. All right. I like it. We're off to a good start, people. We're off to the races. Well, so Jude, is it Corrections Coles to Sack time? Yeah, let's start with Corrections Coles to Sack. For once, I have a Corrections Coles to Sack. Normally, I'm perfect, so don't, you know. Don't add Don't me. do a spit take or drop your drop whatever you're holding. But yes, <laughs> I did, in fact, make a small, not a mistake, an omission. Last episode... When we were talking about gaming, we spoke about D&D, and I blinked on the name of the other creator of D&D. His name is Dave Arneson, and it is traditional in D&D to not credit him, since Gary Gygax sure went out of his way not to do it. Ooh, burn. But that said, uh, I do want to give him proper credit, because many of the things that I like most about tabletop RPGs are very much Arneson's influence on the game. He was all about the storytelling part, and Gygax was all about the, like, murder hobo miniature part. So, thanks, Dave. And uh, sorry I forgot your name. It's mostly because I'm senile, and not because I don't know who you are. <laughs> Perfect. Thanks, Dave. We appreciate it. All right, I, I am also in the cul-de-sac right now with you. After our last episode, uh, episode 25 about... Tolkien and gaming. We had a few tweets from a friend of the show named Joe Eisenman, who I actually went to college with. Hi, Joe. Uh, he's at Eisenmania on Twitter. And he let us know that we missed some very quality Lord of the Rings board games for you board game nerds. Jude, are you a board game person? I, I'm really not. Yes and no. I, it depends on the game. I'm not like every kind of board game person, but there are some board games that I get very into. There was a period of time when we all got our friends together and we didn't have anything else to do, I would very much enjoy Talisman. Nice. Uh, mostly to troll people with the spells. Cool. All right. Well, I have no frame of reference for that, but it sounds fun. Jude being a troll is always fun. <laughs> well, Joe mentioned a game from the year 2000 called Lord of the Rings, written by Reiner Nizia, maybe is how you say his last name. I'm so sorry if I mispronounced that. And Joe also mentioned 2004's War of the Ring, and he described it as a giant three-plus-hour <laughs> war game covering both the war and the journey of the Fellowship simultaneously. So thanks for bringing those up, Joe. Uh, there's like a ton of fun gaming stuff out there, and if we missed your favorite, make sure to add us on Twitter and let us know. We want to hear from you. Also, okay, look, this is... <sighs> This is just a fun little thing. If you listened to last month's episode, which you should do because it's pretty funny, uh, you'll remember that I, I introduced you to my new Uruk son, a lovely guy named Pigug, Pigug, who was a minor grunt from the Shadow of Mordor that I, very stupidly, and by dying a lot of times, made into a war chief uh, because I suck royally at video games. Well, <laughs> I mean, so Pigug has sort of become like a thing around my house. Like if anything goes wrong or, you know, if I'm being sassy, that's just Pigug coming out. Well, somebody sent a mystery package addressed to Pigug Midlock to my house this last month. <laughs> and inside it is my favorite title. Also, if you listen to the last episode, you'll know that when we were talking about tabletop RPGs, 
I mentioned the Middle Earth role-playing game series and that my favorite, like, one of their, like, serial titles that came out was called Teeth of Mordor. And Jude and I, like, laughed and we surmised that maybe it was about Mordorian dentistry. Well, don't worry, because somebody sent it to me, or actually to Pigug, and now I know that it is not about dentistry. It is about the two towers on the either side of the Black Gate, so... Yes. Which is way less interesting than about Mordorian dentistry, <laughs> especially having seen the mouth of Sauron in the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Ooh, he's got some crazy teeth. Well, uh, I have to say thank you because I now know who sent it to Pigook, and it was Jude. So, Jude, thank you so much. <laughs> I seriously laugh at it every time I see it. It's amazing. I posted it on Instagram. You got to check it out. I'm glad you enjoy it. It was my pleasure. That was a top jape. That was really good. <laughs> That was a good troll. Thank you. Pigook yeah. thanks you. Uh, listeners, this is a special episode for us. This is our two-year anniversary episode. This is our 26th episode, but it is our two-year anniversary. Not entirely sure how that works out. I'd have to go back and do the math. It's but. because in the first, I, I, I had the same problem where I was like, are we stupid? Did we count wrong? And yes, we are stupid, but we, for the first couple of months, we put out an episode every two weeks because we were trying to kind of ramp up and be like, we're a thing now. Yeah. yeah. So that's what, so we ended up with a few extra episodes, but yes, we started on September 4th, like 2018 or something like that. Yeah. So before we get into the content of this month's episode, we wanted to take some time to reflect on how we ended up doing this podcast and what we're feeling about doing it right now and where we see it going for the next two, four, whatever years. Yeah. Happy anniversary, dude. Happy anniversary. Oh. I love this podcast almost as much as I love the fact that the journey to starting this podcast began <laughs> in January 2008 with an Obi-Wan Kenobi gif. Okay. You're going to have to... Res- I don't remember this at all. I was like, what are you talking um, about when I saw this in the outline? If you go back in our text messages in January of 2018, I texted you the Obi-Wan Kenobi hello gif. Oh, hello there. And then said, (laughs) and then reminded you that I was interested in doing this podcast and asked if you were still interested. And then you ghosted me and did not respond uh, until April. Oh, God. And then you you finally said, I, I texted you again and said like, Still wondering if you want to do that podcast. And you finally responded and said, like, yes, actually, okay, let's talk about it. Okay, I admit it. I totally ghosted you. I'm guilty. (laughs) I'm so embarrassed. I'm sorry, dude. I was just very nervous about jumping into this. Like, this is a very knowledgeable and vocal community of Tolkien lovers and scholars. And I felt very underprepared and worried about it. But you convinced me. The guilt... It's the good Catholic guilt in me. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, As we've mentioned before, uh, it took a little trial and error to get our our patter down, our format right. We recorded a first episode and then mutually hated it. Um, So we took another stab uh, with a different subject. The first, our our very first effort was about the Quenya Catholic prayers, which we subsequently covered in another episode. But yeah, we got it right. So in September, we put up our first episode and uh, it's been just lots of fun since then. My initial idea for this podcast was to explore all of the 
weird Tolkien stuff that I didn't feel like was getting covered by other Tolkien sources. I feel like that's still something I want to do. I, at the time, was feeling kind of salty that I was not pursuing my master's at Mythgard, and I was looking for a way to sort of flex my Tolkien scholarship. And I found that this podcast is really fantastic for that. It's helped me stay engaged with the Tolkien community and with Tolkien scholarship, much more than I think I actually expected uh, on the community front. I think it's been really great for pushing me to engage with the community. But I think it's also made me interested in generally exploring Tolkien fandom and the way people engage with Tolkien in a much broader sense than just let's talk about this weird elf essay, which was definitely like what I had planned for this podcast when we started. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it, it has been, it's so much more than I thought it was going to be when I sort of agreed to it in April. <laughs> it's gone above and beyond for sure. Um, and, you know, especially for me, like I had no interest in any scholarly studying of any kind, Tolkien or otherwise. And now here I am doing homework as a old ass lady so thanks thanks for that Jude. geez no i'm just kidding you're welcome <laughs> i i have to say i i've mentioned it on several episodes in the past but i've really been pleased and impressed with how much you've stepped up on some of these episodes to help me out on episodes where i was slacking and done all the outline and research and you've really gone from someone who was very much in a color commentary role in some of our very early episodes to co-owning this podcast completely as far as research and in, in all aspects. And uh, that really has been exciting and rewarding for me to, to have this be something that we share and we, you know, drive into when we're looking for subjects and things like that. So I'm really happy that it's turned into that. Oh, dude, thanks. That's so nice. I'm totally going to cry. That was really good. Thank you. (laughs) Do you have any, um, like personal favorite episodes that we've done over the past couple of years that you want to like talk about? So I have a lot of episodes whose subject material is like close to my heart. And so the episodes are precious to me, but then I also feel like I could have done them so much better. So like our first episode, I really love our first episode, but also I hate it because I feel like I could have done that material so much better. Our Athrobeth episodes, I really love, but again, like I, I want to go back and like redo them over and over again because I feel like I can do them better. I think the episode that I'm really proud of and I'm really happy with how it came out was the interview we did with Don Wells Thuma on the Tolkien fan fiction survey and where we talked pretty extensively about the t- Tolkien fandom and That was a really enlightening episode to make for me. I thought the survey was super interesting. I thought Don was a really great guest. And that was sort of a first step for us into looking at how the wider fandom engages with Tolkien in ways beyond scholarship. And I was really pleased with how that episode came out, put a lot of work into that episode. And so I was really happy with uh, how it ended up. 
Yeah, I totally agree. It, it's definitely one of my favorites, too. It was, as Jude said, our first interview. And I was like, really like the behind the scenes look is that I was sweating about it. I was very worried because interviewing is hard and you need to, you know, know their material really well and think of really mindful questions and and make sure that it's something people want to listen to. So there's a lot riding on that. And she Dawn was such a delight to work with. Like not only really is was. her yeah, not only is her research like so interesting and engaging and like really relatable and cool but she was just the best she was so sweet and nice and uh, a really cool person and like a great contact to make for us i think it turned out really well too and it made me kind of excited to maybe do more interviews in the future who knows yeah what about you okay so i wrote i wrote all this out because i want to make sure i say it well and then i wrote do do not read this this is top secret so now i'm gonna read it um sort of i'm gonna tell you what i what I think. So yeah, I mean, my favorite. Okay, well, I mean, there's so many from horses to spoopy things, you know, to pee goog. There's lots of favorites in my <laughs> mind. But I kind of wanted to take it back a little bit. And just as Jude said earlier, you know, I was very reluctant to kind of join Jude as a co-host for this podcast. You know, when we talked about it in the past, it felt like those conversations that you, that you have with your friends over a glass of wine where you all decide you're going to start a band, but you all know you're never going to start a band. Come on. <laughs> right? I figured it was like a fictional thing that Jude and I would talk about. Yeah, we'll do a podcast and we'll that we would never really do it. But that's not who Jude is. When he sets his mind to do something, he does it. And he does it extremely fucking well. Jude has an amazing drive to succeed. And I deeply respect him for that. It's also annoying because what it meant was that for me, there was no getting out of this fucking podcast. (laughs) So, you know, in the first few episodes, and you can hear how reluctant I think I am in the first few episodes. I'm very reluctant to take a scholarly step into the world of Tolkien. I even told Jude, and I think our listeners, that the only way I would do the podcast is if I never had to do any homework. And, yeah, you mentioned that several times. Right? It's kind of, oy, yikes. Our early episodes, I think, really reflect that. It's a lot of me kind of sitting in the proverbial back seat to, you know, your legendary machine that you're kind of driving, Jude. So that brings me to like, so what are my favorite episodes? My favorite episodes, I think, are... This arc of episodes that came out around six, seven, eight, and nine. This is where mm-hmm. you start talking about elf souls, elf reincarnation, and then eight and nine was a double episode about the Atherbeth and about death and what what elves think about death and all that. And it really was, and like this is gonna sound corny, but like your presentation of all this elf lore really touched me, and it freaking annoyed me. If you'll remember correctly, I was still annoyed about that. Yeah. Uh, but it made me want to know more. It That arc really marked a turning point in me where I was like, oh, this elf bullshit's actually kind of freaking interesting. Okay. I'm, I feel like that's when I put my second foot on board. And while I still roll my eyes at all your very heavy hitting, scholastically challenging episodes, like I find myself kind of out of the back seat and now riding shotgun more like on this silly Tolkien journey that we're on. And so that, so those are my favorites. Those ones that really kind of solidified that for me. And and I just want to thank you, Jude, for that, because it was your thoughtfulness that put that together, that those episodes really built on each other. And they're kind of a slog, but you did it so well. And I know even if you say, oh, I could do it better, like you did great. And that really got me going. So thank you so much. Thank you. That's, that's really sweet to hear. Uh, I'm, 
I am very self-conscious about those episodes, um, but that's really nice to hear that they had that effect. Oh, yay. I really wanted to talk about our my favorite social media moment thus far, because mm-hmm. it's important. Okay, so it came, it was, it was in 2019 in July, and John Garth, famed Tolkien scholar and author, an all-around cool, awesome, nice guy, he tweeted about our 12th episode, in which we discussed that very silly Tolkien biopic movie, uh, but also his book, um, Tolkien and the Great War. And he said, he said, oh my God, it's the best. He said something that we, you know, that we go to, we talk about like a full-on discussion about it, and that he said, I'm feeling absurdly flattered. (gasps) Oh my God. Dude! Yeah. I was driving when I got that. My husband read it to me because my thing pinged. We were on our way to the, um, I think the Nijia, like, Japanese supermarket in San Jose, which if you know the area, it's a great supermarket with zero parking. Okay. And I was like, (laughs) I need a fucking parking spot so that I can tweet back. I do not have time for this shit right now. I was so mad. And it was amazing. It was like the coolest moment ever, dude. Right. Do you remember that? Yeah, I do remember that. Um, (laughs) I was not driving since I don't really leave my house. Um, but yeah, I remember that very clearly. I was very excited about that because uh, John Garth is a scholar that I respect enormously. And uh, I was very excited that he had fucking listened to our, our dumb it's, podcast. I know, it's a little embarrassing. Because we, we, were, we were a little salty about that movie. Yeah. Uh, of all the episodes for him to listen to, us dunking on the Tolkien biopic was a, uh, you know, a choice. But... <laughs> That's a big he, uh, energy right there. We were very complimentary about his book because yeah. we really do love that book. And um, I'm glad that he took the time to listen to what, what we had to say about it. Uh, and I know he's not wild about that movie either. So Yeah, I think, I think it's it okay. Out. I think he was with us on that one. But that was amazing. Yeah. And yeah. then I just to kind of finish up talking about the past, because we don't want to live in the past. But, we, you know, I, I think like our my best moment with the podcast is when we all, Jude and I, as well as my husband James and our mutual friend Aaron, met up in New York City in the winter, like I think it was February or something, of 2019 for the Morgan Library's exhibition, Tolkien, Maker of Middle Earth, and the subsequent symposium right that was also part of that that was awesome yeah remember when you got to like meet up with your friends in person yeah oh the one time i actually saw you was pretty amazing um we were very early on and i feel like maybe we weren't that early on i was very shy there and spoke to nobody except you and aaron and james (laughs) which was really dumb i should have reached out and talked to more people because john was that john garth was there a lot of people were there and i'm sure they would have been lovely had i swallowed my you know got some courage up and whatever but i didn't yeah but it was still really fun and uh that was awesome a fun field trip so last before we dive into the episode i just wanted to talk a little bit about what we see as the future for this podcast we definitely have not by any means drained the reservoir of weird elf shit that tolkien wrote (laughs) there's plenty of stuff to cover but that said beyond exploring infrequently read essays about elf spirituality and lifestyle. I'm increasingly interested in how the modern Tolkien community, both academic and otherwise, are engaging with those works. I'm really interested in how people are grappling with the problematic elements of Tolkien's work. 
I'm really interested in how people are adapting Tolkien's work. I'm really interested in the scholarship people are doing in Tolkien's work, not just the historical, the usual stuff, but the interesting stuff, the 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 more challenging stuff that people are doing with Tolkien, taking it apart and doing more, doing really interesting things with it. So uh, I'm really interested to start to look into some of that stuff, in addition to the weird elf shit. There, there will <laughs> always be weird weird elf shit on this podcast. And dunking on Feanor. And dunking on Feanor. Fuck that guy. That's still, that's one of our proudest accomplishments, too. If you search the term, right, dunking on Feanor, you end up at Athrobath. That's great. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. First hit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I would also just add, too, like, if you are wonderful listeners, if you have anything that you'd like us to cover, just let us know, because we're always open yeah, to more Yeah, do us a ideas. solid, man. Save us the work of coming up with an episode idea. Yeah, just, yeah, <laughs> definitely add us on, on Twitter or Instagram or whatever, and we would be happy to, <laughs> to for you to do a little of our homework, so thank you. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Well, thanks for going, yeah. I mean, that was kind of a long intro, sorry everybody, but it's two years, who who would have thought we'd ever make it? So, this is rad, yeah. and um, I'm kind of excited to, to, to dive into the episode. Yeah, me too. Well, we've got many happy returning paths to tread, so let's begin. So, since it's our two-year anniversary, uh, and it's September, which is the same month that is has both Frodo and Bilbo's birthdays, as well as my wife's, uh, same day, my wife shares a birthday with Frodo and Bilbo. September 22nd? Indeed. Happy birthday, Christine. Since it has all, all these things in one month, this month that we're releasing, this month we're going to talk about... Hobbits and birthdays. Ooh, two of my favorite subjects. I got doing some research and I found that there is a letter that covers this really excellently. Oh shit, nice. Letter 214 Mm. is one of the letters in the Tolkien's letters. And it was written in 1958, 1959. Not real clear when that was. Not even clear if he ever sent it. Um, Who was he writing to? Did you say? He was he was writing to someone named A.C. Nunn, N-U-N-N, nice. who wrote him uh, with a question about the gift giving as depicted in the long expected party chapter of The Lord of the Rings oh. as compared to Gollum's story about how he got the ring in The Hobbit. Nice. Specifically, Gollum story involves asking Deagle for a birthday present and Bilbo Bilbo that chapter talks about hobbits giving gifts away which seems like a contradiction Tolkien writes this letter which elucidates at length uh, (laughs) on the subject of hobbit gift giving and birthdays and also in uh, how hobbit inheritance and clans work which makes sense in context. So I thought we would talk a little bit about that because it's full of weird stuff. What a gift you're giving us, Jude, by giving us this information. <sighs> Thank you. I know. I'm very giving. <laughs> nice. You're, you're, um, a real, you're a real a treasure and a present. So thank you. I am. I'm great. <laughs> so there's a great quote to start this, this out. One thing Tolkien does a lot, and he does it like all throughout this letter, 
he does it all throughout his, all of his work, not just in the published work, but in his letters and in conversation with people, is he refers to himself not as the author of The Lord of the Rings or of Middle-earth. And there's a real great quote here. He says, uh, I am not a model of scholarship, but in the matter of the Third Age, I regard myself as a recorder only. That's awesome. And very consistently, he acts as though he were recording it or translating it. Like he, he uses that framing device a lot, but it's it goes beyond a framing device because he really does act as though he's capturing this information or something like that. There's a famous quote about the blue wizards. In another letter, someone asks him, well, what's up with the blue le- the blue wizards? And he says something to the effect of, these wizards are doing this, but the blue wizards, I know they went east in this year, but beyond that, I have not yet discovered. Oh, that's so cool. Or something like that. Like he did not treat it as though he owned this information or he could make up anything he wanted. He very much felt and acted as though this was information he was uncovering or discovering. So That's awesome. He makes a couple of comments to this effect throughout this letter, which I just wanted to call out because I think it's interesting. So then he moves into the birthday traditions among the hobbits. He calls out that there is no contradiction, as the letter implies. He says that there are two gift traditions among the hobbits. The first is the receiving of gifts. So, well, first he says that there is an old word amongst the hobbits, which is ribadine, which it can be rendered as birding. In I'm not entirely sure how that ends up that way. Wait, birding? No, I, the word birding? 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 Or beer thing, maybe? Oh. I, I don't know if that's supposed to be a thorn there. Okay. But basically, that is that is a word that describes a birthday person, like the birthday boy. <laughs> um, nice. And this person is the one who does the giving or receiving. And there were two kinds of gift giving that this person would do, uh, either the receiving of gifts or the giving of gifts. The receiving of gifts was an ancient ritual connected with kinship. So most often you would have the head of their clan would give them gifts to acknowledge their kinship to the, the family or the clan. Sure. So like the head of the, the Baggins clan would give would give them, but it was only done when they were young and it was not, you know, not in the way that we do it, not every year and not extravagant things. It was more of a ritual and less of a tradition and less of like a birthday tradition type thing. Wait, so that's the birthday boy giving away gifts? No, receiving, receiving, receiving. Okay, gotcha. Gotcha. The giving of gifts was a form of, as he says it, thanksgiving, not limited to kinship that was meant to show appreciation for friends and relations. There were some very funny rules, apparently, by Bilbo's time. Things like it was generally accepted that it was limited to out to second cousins and 12 kilometers. Hmm. So that you, in order to limit the financial impact on the birthday boy. And it was also traditional to to give things that you had made yourself, which made it affordable uh, for lower income hobbits. So food and and grown things like flowers were very common gifts, apparently. It also says the first gifts given were by fonts, a word that is used to describe three-year-old hobbits once they begin walking and talking. Oh, little babies. 
Yeah. So once they are old enough to like walk and talk, they give flowers to their parents and that's like their first gift giving. That's interesting. Oh, uh, yeah. you know, if you don't mind me interjecting, yeah, please. This, this sounds very much like a practice called potlatch, which is done by the indigenous peoples of the Pacific Northwest coast of Canada and the United States. And the idea of it is it's like a big, you know, gathering and the host gives away kind of prestige items or like valuable gifts in order to kind of well and then this in the potlatch sense it's to kind of show their power and their wealth right like look at all this cool stuff we're giving to you but again it's that that reverse of instead of getting mm-hmm. something you're giving something away which i i kind of like yeah it's cool yeah. Inter- very interesting yeah hmm. yeah those are the two forms um there's a lot of etiquette around what kind of gifts one is to give mm. They're supposed to be not particularly valuable so that there's not any sort of expectations set up, both giving and receiving gifts. And if I could interject again, it's all about me interjecting tonight. Um, I just wanted to talk about that, you know, so in Lord of the Rings Chapter 1, A Long Expected Party, Bilbo, we see Bilbo sort of like, you know, getting ready to leave, right? And so he's sort of cleaning out all of his shit, as we all do, and like, he's getting ready to give some gifts away. And he totally does it in the most trolly manner ever, Mm -hmm. where he gives gifts to, right, to like his family members and that kind of like troll him a little bit, right? Yeah. My favorite one, if if you don't mind me reading it. <clears throat> he Please. says, for Dora Baggins, in memory of a long correspondence with love from Bilbo on a very large waste paper basket. Dora was Drogo's sister and the Elvis surviving female relative of Bilbo and Frodo. She was 99 and had written reams of good advice for more than half a century. So that dude gave her a trash can. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, it's real good. Oh, there's other ones too, but that one just killed me. That one's such like a mic drop moment. Mm-hmm. I love it. So I like that he's using, it seems that he's using this gift giving thing as, as to be a little bit like, you were annoying to me. Yeah. No, there's, <laughs> Bilbo is 100% out of fucks at that point <laughs> and is letting everybody know it. Amazing. Were you going to talk about Mathems? Uh, I was going to mention like that they exist, but please, you added some really excellent like notes about them, so go nuts. Sure. Well, so just talking about gift giving brought up the idea of mathems and like this. Uh, what the heck happens when hobbits have a ton of tchotchkes? <laughs> what do they do with them, right? So a mathem is a shire word for basically like hobbit doodads, <laughs> sort of, sort of doodads, <laughs> or what's paperweight that has been passed around. Exactly. So uh, from the text from Lord of the uh, from Fellowship of the Ring, uh, the quote is the Matham House. It was called for anything that hobbits had no immediate use for, but were unwilling to throw away. They called a Matham. Their dwellings were apt to become rather crowded with Mathams, and many of the presents that passed from hand to hand were of that sort. So it was basically like, yeah, like stuff that we didn't want to get rid of, and they were given between hobbits. Uh, so they must have had some personal meaning or something. And they ended up... So where did all these silly things end up, right? They're not silly, but where did all these kind of treasures end up when they can't go in your house anymore? No, they do not go to the local storage warehouse. Like all of my crap. They go to Matham House, um, which yeah. is a museum located in Mickledelving, 
uh, city in the Shire, or a town in the Shire. And it contained, it, there's mention of it containing like a store of weapons, as well as um, actually housing Bilbo's mithril coat for a little while. It was, he lent it to the museum, uh, which I kind of like. And he retrieved it, obviously, before heading off to Rivendell again. There's a really lovely... That's like oh, sorry, go bananas ahead. to me. Just the, the idea of this. I mean, picture... <laughs> in, in my head, what I'm picturing is... Um, this is not going to make a lot of sense to most of you, but I don't care. <laughs> I'm picturing like the Los Altos History House. Okay. Now, be careful. I worked there. Yeah. No. So I'm picturing the Los Altos History House, <laughs> except like all of its shelves are full of like unopened dad ties and paperweights <laughs> and just like the dumbest gifts you've ever received. And then in the corner, there's this mithril coat, which <laughs> could buy and sell the entire Shire. Oh, yeah. Like 10 times over. Right. And they've got like a t-shirt next yeah, to it. Yeah, it's like a bunch like of... Just, <laughs> like No conception of what they've yeah, got. It's like a bunch of novelty kazoos. Like a few rubber chickens and a, a hat and like then a mithril ass coat. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. For those of you who don't know, Jude and I grew up in a town called Los Altos in California. And that is their local history museum that he is referring to. And I think you're right. I think that's exactly what Matham House is. It's like a, a local history collection, sort of. There's a lovely little succinct article that was... Written quite a long time ago, in the ye olde time of 2002, it's called Hobbits and Museums. It's from a publication called Kulna, which is actually the magazine from the National Museum of South Africa, which is so cool. It's located in Bloemfontein. It's written by Sarah Bishop. Basically, Bishop uh, makes the point that the very definition of a Matham makes her think that Matham House was not very similar to the modern museum's that we see today that are kind of stark. Um, I think most of you know, but I, I, I work in a kind of somewhat snobby, you know, fine art museum that <laughs> takes itself a little too seriously. Um, and, you know, as, as museums, we don't always accept donations of like family heirlooms or kind of cool things that people collected from their travels, right? If it doesn't fit our mission. And that's based on having space restrictions, you know, not having enough budget to care for it in perpetuity, and it kind of being beyond our collection scope. So museums today, at least the ones that are you know, trying to do the best we can, we have to kind of have these very rigorous collecting practices that we stick to uh, when deciding whether or not to collect something. Well, Matham House really struck the author as being kind of similar to like older style museums that were more cabinets of curiosities that are sort of those old dusty places filled with treasures from faraway lands. And they don't really like fit a specific mission, but they're just kind of there to be cool because they're awesome and interesting. Um, and that made me think of uh, the Pitt Rivers Museum in Oxford. It's such a cool example of this. It was founded in 1884 by General Pitt Rivers. He gave his collection of basically archaeological and anthropology doodads to the University of Oxford. And they created this awesome Cabinet of Curiosities, very old style museum. And you can actually still go there today. And it hasn't changed at all. It's all kind of higgledy-piggledy in there. <laughs> it's freaking rad. And I always wondered if maybe Tolkien went there and if that had any play on his his love for Matham House. I don't know. Could be. But it's just kind of a fun little nod. It was a nice moment of like museums, which is my bag, coming together with Tolkien, and I liked it. So I definitely wanted to mention that. Nice. Yeah. 
uh, as a consequence of talking about all this gift-giving stuff, Tolkien ends up spending a lot of time talking about kinship and about families and how if you're giving a gift, you're expected to give it to this degree of cousins and the head of your family gives you this. And that obliges him, according you know, to his thought, to talk a little bit about how Hobbit family and clans and inheritance works. Oh, cool. So he starts out by talking about how fam- like the heads of family works. And he talks about how basically you have these families like the Tooks and the Baggins and so Proudfoot on and so forth. And hornblower and stuff, yeah. Yeah, and these families were really more like clans because they had a... They were patrilinear, as he put it, Mm -hmm. but not patriarchal in the sense that the family name passed through the the male line, but the the person in charge could be male or female. Uh, And he gives a couple of examples of that, which aren't always great. Um, What do you mean by what? Why? (laughs) Elaborate. The example that he gives of a hobbit matriarch. Oh, no. Oh, is it not kind? It's not kind. All right, go ahead. Well, so he, he talks about, he mentions that Laura Baggins was the head of the Baggins of Hobbiton until the age of 102. Okay. Um, until her son Bungo succeeded her. <laughs> and then... That's the name. Eventually, Bilbo would become the head after his mother, Belladonna, died. And then it talks about the whole Sackville Baggins thing and how Otho wanted to become Otho Baggins Sackville Baggins, which is dumb (laughs) to a special degree. But he wanted, by being the head of the family, he would have been the, the Baggins Sackville Baggins. So Okay. uh, But where it gets... Crappy is when he's talking about other matriarchs, and he talks about Lalia the Great, wife of Fortinbras II, who served as the head of the Took family. Mm. Fortinbras died in 1380, and she outlived him by 22 years. Okay. She missed Bilbo's party, not because of her age, but because of her immense size and immobility. All right. Rude. Um, no body shaming. <laughs> oh, that that we're not even close to done. Oh no, uh, no. Her son Ferrumbras the third sure. took no wife because no Hobbit lady wished to live with Lalia. Oh, oh no. In fourteen o two, a clumsy attendant tipped her over the threshold and down the steps in the garden, and thus ended the life of Lalia the Great. Oh my God! All right. The the best part of this is that the. <laughs> The attendant was rumored to be Pearl Took, sister of Pippin. Oh, shit, really? Yeah. Oh, dang, all right. I did not know Pippin's family had that little streak in them. Well, the best part of this is she was excluded after this. Uh, Pearl was excluded from the accession ceremony of Ferumbrus, so she was, like, not allowed to attend the big ceremony. She's out of the will? Yeah, um... (laughs) Except, however, afterwards, she was spotted with a necklace of pearls, believing to be a family heirloom. Oh, my God. Okay. Look, I'm not going to... I'm not here to, like... I just feel like we don't know the full story, okay? Just whatever. Poor Lalia. I'm on her side. Some bullshit. Yeah. So, it talks about a few other things. It talks about, like, the office of Thane, which was 
sort of like a sheriffy type thing. And the Stewers, the Stewers are the the group of hobbits that Smeagol Deagle supposedly were uh, were descended from. Okay. Or were associated with the Stewers of Wilderland. Ooh. And he says there's no reason to suppose that they were strictly matriarchal. Okay. Gandalf's use of matriarch uh, apparently was meant more to indicate that they, his grandmother was a dominant female who had outlived her husband. Sure. And was in charge of the clan at the time. Okay, that makes sense. This is where it kind of gets crappy. There's some sudden and unnecessary misogyny uh, at the end of this this letter. Oh. Yeah, it's not it's not great. Two real fun quotes. It is likely enough that in the recessive and decadent Stuart country of Wilderland, the women folk, as is often to be observed in such conditions, tended to preserve better the physical and mental character of the past, and so became of special importance. Yeah, I, I don't know what to make of that quote. Hmm. Um, Are this is he saying that they because they like live longer, they are keepers of the past? Yeah. Is that because that's not bad, is it? Uh, yeah, I'm not. What bothered me about this is the the recessive and decadent the, part. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's a mixed. The quote's a little bit weird. Mm. It, it's a dubious quote. Maybe I misread it the first time. So they tended to preserve better the physical and mental character of the past, and so became of special importance. I mean, it seems to me that they lived longer and. Physical and mental character of the past. I mean, I guess it just depends what he means by that. I, I, I mean, it sounds like they are keepers of knowledge. Maybe. I, I don't know. Yeah, like some. So this is institutional. This is memory. where he's talking about. Sorry, this is how uh, he's explaining how this woman became the matriarch. Sure. Because she was more do- the woman of dominant character. Yeah, I mean, and she outlived her husband, right? They yeah. preserved better. Um, yeah, the second quote is what sets it off. <laughs> okay, give it to for me. For me. I'm scared. Uh, but it is not, I think, to be supposed that any fundamental change in their marriage customs had taken place or any sort of matriarchal or polyandrous society developed, even though this might explain the absence of any reference, whatever, to Smegel Gollum's father. Monogamy was at this period in the West universally practiced, and other systems were regarded with repugnance as things only done under the shadow. Okay, and kind of so kind of like mainstream society, right? But the association of matriarchy and polyandry with repugnance and things done under the shadow was not <laughs> great. I mean, yeah. it's it's a, it's not that's not a great it's thing just, to say. But we know that he that he that Tolkien writes strong women. We have Galadriel as a great example of that. So I don't know. It, I ugh. think that it's just a very uh, traditional statement. It's espousing a, a, a very Catholic view. I think that's what I where how sure. I read that. Sure. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, absence of any reference to Smeagol, Gollum's father, like whatever. Maybe it was a deadbeat dad. Who knows? Yeah, <laughs> there's lots of reasons why people aren't mentioned. So yeah. interesting, though. That's very interesting. I mean, yeah. I, I just feel like AC Nunn's point of like Gollum asking for a birthday present doesn't. I don't think that has a leg to stand on, right? Because like the whole point was that Gollum was like trying to find a way to get that. So I don't think it. I don't yeah. think it means that that group of hobbits or river folk or whatever they're called, the Stuart Country people, had a different practice. I just think that guy was being a dick. 
right? Yeah, no, I think he, the person who wrote the initial letter, I think, was just asking, like, what's up with that? And Tolkien was okay. responding excessively uh, to it. <laughs> so As he is wont to do, so that makes sense. Yeah. Cool. Well, that's uh, really interesting. The letter then ends on a super bummer note oh. with Tolkien saying how his wife had broken her arm. And Ooh. it had been a hard year for them as a consequence. So, oh, that sucks. Fun way to end. Jay's dude. But, <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of all the letter has to say. Uh, it's a short one. Um, but I thought it was really interesting. And I thought it was cool to take a look at how hobbits celebrate birthdays. And what they, you know, how they think about gifts giving. Given that this is our second birthday for this podcast yeah, i love that i have a hobbit question for you certainly hit me okay i have a couple questions first one if you were gonna be from one wealthy hobbit family which one do you want to be from and why important uh i think it i would have to be a took okay so that someone could call me fool of a took. okay i mean i call you that anyway mostly behind your back yes no just kidding <laughs> all right that's a good answer what about you? Uh, hornblower. Come on. That's <laughs> fucking hilarious. <laughs> and it has a double meaning. <laughs> Come on. It wouldn't be our podcast if it wasn't a little bit thirsty. Right? There you okay. go. Okay. So that's my yep. first question. My second question is, Jude, what would you do to live like a hobbit for a day? Because I'm going to tell you how to do it. Tell me. What, what is it worth uh, to What would I do to live? What would you do? What would you give? How much would you pay to live like a uh, hobbit for a day? For for one day? For one day. I don't know. Like a grand? Oh, my God. Well, I have a steal for you then. All right. I'm going to just because. Okay, here's the thing. I feel like everybody loves hobbits because they like to eat, drink, and party. Right? We love them. Uh, yeah. I mean, more or less. And garden. I mean, whatever. Yeah, I was. I think. I think I was picturing something slightly more pastoral than partying. Hey, but. it's a pa- pastoral party. It's fine. It's. Uh, what is everybody saying? The new. The new term. Oh no, cottage core. It's cottage. <laughs> Hobbits are cottage core. And if you, Jude, would like to get a little Hobbit cottage core, maybe when coronavirus is cleared up, maybe not right now, but in the future, you can travel to. The scenic town of Arondo, Washington, overlooking the Columbia River Gorge. And you can stay in an Airbnb called Underground Hig. So it's $400 a night. It is a full-on hobbit house with a round door. It's like an earth-sheltered little place. It's gorgeous inside. They made the front door out of an old cable, like a giant cable spool. It is awesome. It's charming as fuck. So I looked at me... I know. So it's got a, like a great view. You got to check it out, guys. Who wants to live like a hobbit? I do. I mean, that's, yeah. I just wanted to put that out there in case anybody wanted to celebrate their next birthday in a true hobbit house. You can do that. Sounds like a plan. Great. <laughs> and that's all I did for this episode. Hands, arms akimbo. I'm done. <laughs> No, that was awesome. It, it's you know, there's there's um a lot of gift giving in Tolkien's writing. You know, we see the elves doing it, um, and it's really kind of interesting and fascinating to hear a little that we have a little bit more on what hobbits did, and not only just what you take from the main text, but also this letter on the side. That's such a great source, and um, I always 
honestly forget that there are all these wonderful letters because I, I just haven't read them, frankly. I have the book, have not even cracked it because, you know, <laughs> hearkening back to the start of this episode, I don't do homework, come on. But it's great to know that it's there. So thank you so much for going over this. That was, um, uh, thank you for gifting this to us. I already used that joke, but I'm using it again because it's my two-year anniversary. I can do what I want. The road may go ever on and on, but this episode is over. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps increase our visibility, and we appreciate it so much. Please consider. That would be amazing. Uh, you can find us on the web at www.podcast.atherbeth.com. You can find the show on both Twitter and Instagram at atherbeth underscore cast. Jude can be found at Aramidic Jude, and I can be found at the North Four. Title music is Lord of the Devil Rings by Pony Music, courtesy of Pond5. Today's episode was produced by James Pearson. He can be found on Twitter at JPearson. Thanks for listening! For two years. For two years! You losers, go find something else to listen to. No, just kidding, we love you. We love you! I don't even think we've listened to it. Like, does that even what it sounds like? I don't think so. I don't even. Yeah, I a hundred percent don't know. That could be anything. That's dumb. Yikes. Uh, okay.